everyone. Um, it's good to see you all here. And uh, thanks for singing with us and worshiping God. And uh, if we have time at the end, if there's extra time, we can sing again. So this evening we're continuing the series in Ecclesiastes, and we're in chapter 8. So uh, there'll be a few more uh, evening services following to wrap up the series, maybe two or three more. But we're nearing the end of the series, except we've had a big break in the middle. So we'll, uh, I have a slide for that. But before we begin, uh, I'd like to open in prayer, of course, and uh, ask God to bless this time and bless our learning and consideration of the word. Heavenly Father, thank you for our freedom to meet freely here and to uh, examine your word, examine the Bible, and that um, there are no barriers or nothing stopping us from coming and enjoying this blessing. I pray that tonight uh, you'd continue to bless us as you've blessed us today by uh, helping us to seriously consider what's in your word, to treat it well, and to realize we're handling something with great value. And I pray that you'd help our minds and our hearts to be um, where you want them to be. And I pray that you would help me uh, in delivering this and that, um, that, you, what, that your will would be done <coughs> this evening. So uh, I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So, um, I have the slide, slide, slide advancer, and Ecclesiastes 8, I titled this A Word of Wisdom, because the chapter is a lot about wisdom, or the entire book, you might say, of Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature, just like um, Job and Proverbs and um, Song of Solomon might be lumped in there sometimes. And these books are uh, mainly concerning this concept of wisdom. And uh, before we, and, and so we need to know about Solomon if we're going to know about Ecclesiastes. And he's the author of this book. Uh, some people debate this, but uh, it's Solomon. Uh, and he also wrote the book of Proverbs. And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3, if you like, um, to consider Solomon, the person of Solomon, and what we know about him and the start of his life. Uh, not in too great a detail, but uh, just to get some backing information here. So we, we can see in chapter 3 that um, Solomon's rule is, is beginning, and it's being consolidated, and Solomon forms a marriage alliance in verse 1 with the Pharaoh king of Egypt by marriage. And um, not commenting on that, I'd just like to point out in verse 3 it says this, Now Solomon loved the Lord, he loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. That tells us a lot about Solomon, I think, that one verse. He loved the Lord, and he walked in the statutes of David his father, except he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. 
that'd be like around here, that'd be like Ikea up on the hill. <laughs> yeah, somewhere visible, I guess. Um, and moving down to verse 6, we might consider Solomon's prayer. Uh, God appears to Solomon, not the first time. God appears to Solomon many times. And, uh, and God asks him, what do you want? What do you wish? And Solomon asks, and for the sake of time, I won't read all of this, but uh, beginning in verse 10, you know, if we, if we jump through Solomon's prayer, I think we, we probably are familiar, and we know he asks for understanding, for wisdom. And God answers this way. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing for discernment, for wisdom, for judgment, um, to do a good job of what he, his job was. And God said to him, because you have asked this thing and not asked for yourself long life or riches for yourself or, the or for the life of your enemies, um, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. So wisdom and discernment were given to Solomon, and I see his life um, benefiting from that. And he was certainly the king of Israel at the height of its power as a nation. But we may jump to 1 Kings 11, if you want to jump forward, and uh, see that, or I just jumped to 2 Kings 11, that's a problem, I have it here anyways. So 1 Kings, 1 Kings 11, we can see that um, Solomon did not hold to his love of the Lord. It says this in 1 Kings 11. Now, now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for surely they will turn your heart away after other gods. And Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives, wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol, the Ammonites. And you may read on, and it describes that in greater detail. Um, so we might see here that wisdom is distinct from obedience. And that Solomon certainly was blessed and enjoyed success derived from the wisdom and the judgment given to him by God, the intelligence. Um, and early in his life, I think Solomon probably collected sayings of wisdom and he wrote the book of Proverbs. But as time went on, Solomon, um, perhaps his heart strayed away from this and I think later in his life, Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And I see this because Proverbs is a clear cause and effect writing style. If you obey wisdom, you'll have its benefits. Uh, wisdom is good. Go, get yourself wisdom. But in Ecclesiastes, it's a much more complex <clears throat> discussion, a much more uh, darker, it's heavier. You know, and this I see 
as the, the result of sin. Um, this, the result of sin is his mind was drawn to wrestling with um, human issues. And um, I think this can help us because um, the book of Ecclesiastes can be dangerous, I think, to a Christian. It can do great harm in the life of a Christian to misunderstand these words. Um, it deals with some heavy-duty stuff. Job as well, the book of Job, deals with some heavy-duty stuff. Uh, Job's wife says to him, curse God and die. You know, like we're, we're talking with, some, in this wisdom literature genre, we're talking about some heavy-duty material. So I'd just like to acknowledge that and uh, moving forward uh, through that. So, yeah, I have here caveat emptor, buyer beware. Uh, take care in studying this, but also that this is not a waste of time to study. This is Holy Scripture, capital H, capital S. This is not just a philosophy text. I believe God has something for us to learn from the book of Ecclesiastes and from the book of Job, for sure. And there can be great benefit as well that comes from these things. Um, so before entering into this kind of book and into the text itself, uh, we might ask ourselves, and I might ask myself, do I have the right attitude towards God's word before I open it? Before I open Ecclesiastes or any book of the Bible, do I have the right attitude? Am I seeking God's truth? Am I seeking God? Am I seeking knowledge of God from the Bible? Or am I treating it as um, something else, like a storybook or... Um, there's many wrong ways, I guess, but only one right way. Uh, to approach God's word. The way to approach it is in reverence and in knowledge that God has something to teach us in his word. So there's a couple key words in Ecclesiastes that we might look at. Um, one key word is hevel, meaning smoke. Usually this is translated vanity or meaningless, and this is the phrase that comes up so often in Ecclesiastes. All is vanity, life is meaningless. Um, it doesn't. I don't believe that it necessarily needs to be so narrow, um, I imagine a room full of smoke, and perhaps you see shapes in these smoke and you're grasping and you're trying to find your way, and that reminds me of the book of Ecclesiastes. Having smoke all around and life is confusing and difficult and, and there's many interesting and difficult things that Solomon brings up, um, but it's like blindly feeling your way through. That's what I think of when I think of vanity or meaningless. Uh, because I don't believe that life is meaningless, and hevel means smoke, um, not meaningless, um, necessarily. I'm not criticizing the translation, but um, another key word is koheleth, which is the name of the book in Hebrew. It means preacher or assembler of the people, someone who brings people together to have a discussion, to hash out some issue, and that was Solomon. Um, and another key phrase is under the sun, which means life on the earth, life without God. And um, I think that's where Ecclesiastes draws its fatalistic and its dark uh, flavor is from this, this idea of considering, trying to figure stuff out on your own. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it uh, to try and figure out life just based on your own uh, your own wisdom, I guess. Uh, uh, it leads to some challenges, right? So, moving on. Um, verse 
Chapter 8, verse 1. So turn, please, to the text itself here that we have before us. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, if you're not there. And verse 1 says this. Who is like the wise man, and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. So who is like the wise man? I think this is praise about the wise man. Who is like him? And who knows the interpretation of a matter? And this, this verse really stuck out to me and interested me among all the verses of this chapter because it says this, a man's wisdom illumines him. I thought that was illuminates for quite a while, but it says in my translation, illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. Now, anything that can take a stern face and cause a smile to crack in it, I'm interested in what you're talking about um, because it's easy for people to have stern faces. And I firmly believe that we need faces that can smile. And we need to be able to put a smile even when we're dealing with some difficult things. Life will come. Why not face it with a, a beaming face rather than a stern face? And I'm very interested because maybe on the face of it, wisdom may not present itself to me this way. Uh, really smart people usually are more ser serious, actually, I find, uh, and uh, wise people even. And Solomon says himself uh, at one point, you know, much wisdom can make, your, can make you seize up. But I'd like to tackle this this way. What is this wisdom that can cause a stern face to beam? So uh, what is wisdom and who is wise? Um, we might look at some definitions of wisdom. So if you ask Google, if someone asks you a question these days, type it in your phone, ask Google, define wisdom. Um, and it will bring up this, the soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Okay, so the soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Another definition I've heard is this. Love acting on the basis of reality, on the basis of truth. And one I put just off the top of my head, initially, to know what to do and when to do it. So I think, in common, these definitions of wisdom have two parts. To know the truth, either by experience or by instruction, uh, and to be able to carry it out to know the truth and to carry it out. And Solomon declares the benefits of wisdom in Ecclesiastes and especially in Proverbs. Um, and we may consider some wise men in the Bible. We can consider um, wise kings, rulers. Uh, we, could, we could consider men outside the Bible, but for now I'd like to limit it to these three. So who's the guy in the Technicolor dream coat on the left here? Um, that's a clip from a clip from, you remember the Christmas song, Apologetics? It's that band. They did one called uh, Bought by the Egyptians. <laughs> so, Technicolor Dreamcoat, Bought by the Egyptians, it's Joseph. So, um, we might consider the life of Joseph briefly in our minds. Think about Joseph. He certainly was a wise man. Um, but at his, the, the beginning of his life wasn't maybe so auspicious. He didn't really have a leg up. He was betrayed by his brothers, sold for a bag of silver, thrown into a pit, thrown into slavery. Then he was thrown into jail. Not really treated very well. But 
In Genesis 41:38, it says this, Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Pharaoh recognized the spirit of God in Joseph. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. So he certainly was a wise man. Um, Moses, in the middle, I think everyone would have got that one, uh, holding the Ten Commandments there, he was very wise. If you look at Moses' life, um, until he met God in the burning bush, well, Moses' life was full of ups and downs. Um, his people, they were all slaves in Egypt, the Jews, and except for God's intervention in Moses' life, he never would have survived. Remember, he floated down the river. Um, and he, at the age of 40, um, he fled Egypt because he had struck down an Egyptian. He was a murderer. He was a striker. Um, and then he tended sheep for Jethro and Midian, Uncle, Uncle Jethro or whatever. That um, just reminds me of like out in the backwaters, you know, Jethro, he's got some sheep. Uh, go tend those for 40 years. And when he was 80, God told him to go and free the Israelites. Okay, so a life full of ups and downs. But he was used by God. He delivered the law. He's one of the most significant people in the Bible, and remember he made it to the Mount of Transfiguration in the end to witness Jesus coming to his kingdom. Um, he was certainly wise. Daniel was very wise. The old guy here in the midst of lions, um, if you look at his life, maybe it doesn't seem to be heading anywhere good. Jews are in captivity, uh, many of them, if not all of them, and um, Daniel's there, and we know about Daniel. He uh, was basically a ruler because he served so well under his captives, captors, rather. And they said an excellent spirit is in him. I think they could see the spirit of God, and he too could interpret dreams like Joseph. So my point in all of these is that it's not about circumstance. Wisdom is a matter of the heart, and wisdom comes from God. James 1, 8, James 1 5 says that if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, who gives liberally without um, judgment. So it takes a measure of humility, I think, to be wise. Um, but these, th these men, who, you know, this verse asks us, who is wise? This is what I thought of, this is what, who I think of when I think of wise men, exceptional men of the Bible. And the rest of the text um, present to us four scenarios. So here I'll read. Um, Read the rest of the text. It says here in verse 2, I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? Uh, he who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. For a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure, for there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death, and there is no discharge in the time of war, and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied to my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another to his hurt. So this section I have as the scenario is the, the officer. 
and I see an officer who may not necessarily agree with the decisions of his king um, because of what it says, do not join in an evil matter for the king will do whatever he pleases. Don't be in a hurry to leave him. Don't be in a hurry to plot against your king or disobey him or go behind his back. I think this has value for us, respecting authority in our daily lives. Um, but also it, 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 it mentions some other things where something is, you just, you're stuck. You can't change it. Uh, no man has authority over the day of death or who the leader is right now or who the king is right now or changing the direction of the wind or getting out of war. Um, and this is Solomon's observation. Solomon himself, maybe this is from his experience, because he may have had people under him who plotted against him, um, who may not have enjoyed following his commands. So the second scenario, beginning in verse 10, So then, I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in the city where they did thus. This too is futility, hevel, smoke, because... The sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still, I know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear him openly. It will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. We can take that one to the bank. If we're going to fear God, if we're going to be Christians, we might as well do it openly. Don't be ashamed of it. But it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. Um, this is a, a funeral, is what we're seeing. Um, one who perhaps used to be going in and out of the holy place, in verse 10, but became a wicked person. And the reason for this, Solomon observes, is that uh, he wasn't judged immediately. And so he thought he could get away with it. And... Um, it's true that not everything that is fatal is immediate. We can see that in Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, not everything that is fatal is immediate. Uh, but we can also uh, look at this. Solomon himself wandered away from God, and he may have been looking at how this happens. How does someone fall away from God? How does someone's heart wander away? Verse 14 is another scenario. Um, there is futility which is done on the earth, that is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility, vanity. So I command, did pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and drink and to be merry. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life which God has given him under the sun. Now here, I'd just like to interject and say I don't believe here that Solomon is con um, commending debauchery, partying. I don't think so. This is the word of God. So I don't interpret it that way. Um, I could turn to the scholars for what he's saying and what they think he's saying, but what I consider this is eat and drink your um, ocean spray around the table with your family and be merry. Satisfy yourself with what God has given you. It says here, the days of his life which God has given him under the sun. Moses in, in Psalm 90 says this, teach us, O Lord, to number our days. And I think there's a measure of wisdom in this um, to realize that, you know, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't dream after 
something else, I should eat what I have and drink what I have and be merry with those who I'm with. And this satisfying um, yourself as through the fruit of your toil is something Solomon commends in other places as well. So this, this statement doesn't stand alone, and so I'd have to go and compare it to other statements. I just want to say that it is not a, uh, it is not a commendation for debauchery. Um, so this is like random chance, you know. Um, there's futility where the righteous get what the wicked deserve, the wicked get what the righteous deserve. Um, like Job and the ancient people in the land of Uz, we tend to hope that the righteous always prosper and the wicked always fall destitute. But it doesn't always work like that. Um, Solomon's observation is that it's just not necessarily like that in reality. Wisdom may be defined, or philosophy may, de may be defined as seeking to understand truth. And so when you see it happening, you have to admit it's happening. Uh, when I gave, verse 16, when I gave my heart to know wisdom and to seek the task which has been done on earth, uh, even though one should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. So here's a researcher who can't finish his research, unending research. Reminds me of Solomon himself. And so all of these uh, scenarios actually remind me of Solomon himself. And I see this sort of as, a, as Solomon reminiscing. And what's the point? Um, I'm running out of time, but I have to... I have to uh, talk about what the point of these is, because if you just read this chapter, I'm sure it would bless your boots right off. Um, there's, we've got these scenarios, we've got the officer, a funeral, random chance, unending research, and a seemingly unconnected series of observations about life. Um, but the point is wisdom. Solomon is, is pointing us towards wisdom. There are many things that can be said. Um, that we are powerless in the face of many things. Um, but what we can do is ask God for wisdom. And so we need to understand reality. I see that message in these verses from Solomon. We need to understand reality, the way things really are. And I know for, for, from my part, what is important for me is understanding what is in the heart of man. Understanding reality means understanding people. And Jesus understood what was in the hearts of people. In John 2, in verse 24, it says this, But Jesus, on his part, was not, entrusted, did, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Um, I have here in my notes... Um, don't build your life on a false foundation. Don't take a half measure of wisdom like Solomon or just use convenient parts of truth that you like or that help you. Um, so reality is that my heart is depraved, that men, the hearts of men are depraved. We're sinners and I'm a sinner. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This is reality, this is truth might compare this to Joseph, who didn't trust his brothers when they showed up, he tested them. Um, and also to understand what is of eternal value. So, running around here on earth, not everything is of eternal value. 
And I won't read this entire passage for the sake of time, but I'll read one verse. It says, now if any man, build, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. We need to understand reality and the reality of life is that some things are of eternal value and some things are not. Watching TV is not of eternal value. Um, something, something, I'm not, that's just an example. Um, <laughs> it's not a criticism, I'm just trying to get through this. Okay, so, and then um, understand wisdom. To understand reality, we should understand the nature of wisdom itself. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6, he says in verse 47, Whoever cometh to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he's like. And you know the rest, he's like a man who built his house on the rock and not on the sand, a firm foundation, which is what Jesus said was in line with our definitions of wisdom. Whoever comes to Jesus and hears Jesus' sayings and does them, there is a doing aspect to this um, and acting on it. And I had these verses, I was just going to read these scriptures, but for the sake of time, um, I don't think I'll read them all, but read them, please. Romans 12, Hebrews 12. Um, be a living sacrifice. Be renewed in your mind. Run with patience, um, setting aside every burden and putting on the full armor of God. Being aware that um, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I think I'll read Ephesians 6, the last of these. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. I don't know about you, but every week that goes by, these verses resonate more and more um, with my reality and that we need to be equipped to resist in the evil day. Every week that goes by, every time you listen to the news, every, every month that you continue to listen to the news and observe the, the way the world is going, these verses, I think, resonate and continue to resonate more. Um, so what's the point of wisdom? What's the, what's the blessing that comes from Ecclesiastes and from these observations? I think that wisdom points us to the truth. It reveals the truth, the truth of our hearts, and it reveals that each of us needs Christ. Um, let me get back to my last page notes. Um, I got all mixed up. <clears throat> Actually, I don't even know if I have my last page of notes, but um, here it is. Perfect. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is to know that I need a savior. And, and back to the original point, um, you know, who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? 
Oh, man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. How is it the wisdom can cause a stern face to beam? I think, I believe that what this is, is only peace with God, only forgiveness of sins and salvation from sin. This is a miracle. You know, if you, you still believe in miracles, I know that each of us do, because every time someone is saved, that's a miracle. We don't know how that works. We can't reproduce that. Um, that's a miracle from God when someone is saved. Just the same as when 5,000 people get fed from uh, uh, you know, a couple sticks of bread or whatever, um, or someone, take any example of a miracle. It's just as much of a miracle when someone gets saved. We don't know how it works. A change of nature, a new birth, a spiritual birth. And this is, this is the thing that can crack a smile in a stern face, I believe. Knowledge of salvation, knowledge of the wonderful grace of God. We heard today about the grace of God. This is, this is, this is I think, the, the best thing that wisdom can give us, to point us to the Savior. And Ecclesiastes is an interesting book, and it can point to many things, but um, Solomon writes at the end um, that these are words given by one shepherd, one shepherd. And I think, um, I think that Solomon did construct this in a way that um, pursuing truth, eventually you'll find Christ. And, uh, um, and that's my closing comment for this. I'd like to read, this is a verse from uh, Come Thou Fount, the new version. But I, th I just close with this. I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me. I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. Now my soul can sing a new song. Now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me and I'll never be alone. So praise God for our lives. And uh, I pray, I hope that um, you'll take wisdom from the Bible and understand and do to act on it. So I'll close in prayer now. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, your words. Thank you for showing us Christ in the Bible and the, the story of the Bible and all its many facets. Thank you for this book that illuminates our minds, that allows us to understand spiritual things and to understand the nature of our own hearts, to understand what we need to do with our lives and to understand who it is we do this for and, and for what reason out of love and thankfulness for Jesus who gave it all for us. I pray that you would um, help each of us to focus in our lives, to uh, in our own sphere of life, to do these things, to openly be a Christian, to, to be bold in our faith. And I pray that you would bless us and help us. And we do need your help, Lord, in our own efforts. It would amount to nothing, but we rely on you and your Holy Spirit to work through us and in us and that we may see fruit in these last days and witness miracles as um, sinners come to salvation. I pray for your grace in our lives and I pray for your grace in the lives of those who don't know you, that some would be saved in these last dark days. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.